Welcome back to the Room 104 Podcast. This is your host, Shanti. Don't forget the Monty. I have a very special guest. This, she's, this woman is very, very important to me because she was the first person to recognize my talent and turned it into a skill set. This is Miss Adrienne Alvarez Jackson. Welcome to Room 104. She is my drama teacher from, what, eighth grade, sixth grade? Until yeah, I mean, way back, way back, way back. You gotta go deep, way back into the deep recesses of the past. Yeah, because <laughs> I was in junior high drama, and I think I met you when you were in sixth grade. Yes, right. we met sixth grade. Um, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty of who you are. I, I, I was too young to ask you questions about who you were and to know more in depth about you, but I was always curious how you got into acting and what made you become a drama teacher. What, what sparked your interest in the field and in the arts? Well, um, you know, what sparked the madness, I guess. Um, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts and I mean, truthfully, we had arts in my, in my family background. My dad was a professional dancer. He was a ballroom dancer. My mother's parents were ballet dancers so there was a lot of like movement um my aunt had gone to drama school i think in the 50s and then she she you know got married in the 50s because that's what women did and so she (laughs) never really wrapped that up yeah um so like i always had these stories kind of ghosting around of the arts and the arts community and when i was growing up in massachusetts my mom we didn't have a lot of money but she would usher at a place called the Cape Cod Melody Tent, which anybody knows of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It was this really huge venue in the 60s and 70s, and they would do musicals, and they would do, I don't know if they did straight plays, but they did like the circus would come, and they did kids shows. And so my mom would usher, and she worked in the box office with my aunt for extra money in the summertime. And then I would get to see all the shows for free. Oh, nice. Look at you. I know. And it was outdoors. It was this big circus tent. Okay. And I would just get my little popcorn and sit there. And I got to watch like Fiddler on the Roof. And I remember that was a, came to town and I was super excited about that. Um, Music Man, you know, the old chestnuts. They came through and I just thought like an actor's life, like that bohemian lifestyle, like you just come into town and do the show and then you're out of town and, I didn't think about money or anything like that, but I thought about being a storyteller and right. You know that, that I think that's how I got hooked. Okay. A lot of people that get into the business will look at it and go like, Oh, I just want the, the glitz and the glamor and the, all the things that that field can offer. But yours was more so just the, the, it was the, the little things that you were more attracted to. I loved how you talked about, you, you mentioned the lifestyle of an act of an actor going to a, 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 a random town and just starting break, building a character from scratch that the art of it is what it seems to me that you were more attracted to is, am, am I correct saying that? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I think I love the idea of that, that you would come to a place and a space and this community would gather. And so I didn't know anybody really. I mean, I was just a little kid, but on the Cape, I didn't know anybody. And then all of a sudden everyone would gather 
on Friday night in this big tent and we would watch this show and we had this shared experience that would bond us and then we're leaving and we feel like I know the actors and the actors know me and it's this form of intimacy and the community's gathered and I just found that to be so powerful and so I I was interested in that from the beginning. I think as a as an artist and as a performer, but also as an audience member, right? Always finding communities that share stories and always wanting to be somebody who shares them too. Uh, well said. I agree with that. What was your first acting? Excuse me. I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> they want to chime in. They have a story to tell too. They do. I agree. <laughs> Hello. What was kind of like the first acting scene or play or whatever you did that kind of made you for sure say like, I, I want to stay in this. That's such a good question. I'm so impressed with your question. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, you know, like I said, my dad was a dancer and my grandparents were ballet dancers and they didn't make a lot of money. Right. You know, a dancer's body kind of like wears out in their early twenties. And that happened to my grandparents and they were just determined to continue to be artists and they were, they really struggled. So I think I struggled. I knew that I loved acting. I knew that's where my heart was, but I, I was afraid to fully commit. So when I went to college, I was an English major. I did all the plays. I did as much as I could, but I didn't just fully commit because I think, you know, I was scared. I mm. didn't know how I would make a living. Um, but my junior year, I was cast as Juliet in a touring production of Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. It was Pekin Players in central Illinois. <laughs> we rehearsed, not even kidding. We rehearsed in a livestock review building. What? So it was like, you know, it would be like moving, like circulating. No way. So we had our platforms. I mean, 110 in the middle of the summer in Pekin in the livestock review building. We were doing Shakespeare. But wow. I loved it. I fell in love with it. And I was like, I made my first money. I got a hundred bucks a week. Woo! I was rich. I was rich. <laughs> Woo! You could buy so much coffee with that money. I took some time to look up your acting credentials on IMDb. And you had. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't even know that. Was I on IMDb? I didn't even know if I was on IMDb. You were. I saw it. Um, You were actually in Charmed. When you got that offer when you when you accepted that role like what was the first feeling that you got truly truly be <laughs> as honest we, we we don't we don't pull back punches on this podcast so go ahead and say okay, it. okay. well it was i was very grateful because you know i went to graduate school and i studied acting but it was back when when you went to school you just studied theater we didn't have a lot of exposure exposure to tv and film which was really you know, I, I felt like at a loss when I got here to LA because really how you're making money is with TV and film. And, you know, it does translate, but you need to be on set to feel really comfortable, just like treading the boards. Like right. the more stage time you have, the more comfortable you are. So I had only been on set. I did a thing on All My Children, which was a, it was a soap opera. Mm -hmm. It was on ABC. Anyway, I did that in New York and I thought I was terrible. I watched it and I was like, oh, so embarrassed my mom had my whole family watching it and I was like oh my god I was awful on this I just I didn't have any experience 
So I was so happy to have the opportunity to not suck. I was like, please, I just don't want to suck my charms. Please, God. Um, that was honestly my first thought. Don't suck. <laughs> you hear yeah. that? Everyone don't who's suck. out there. With Alyssa Milano, who was like everybody's dreamboat in the 90s. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I can't suck next to Alyssa Milano. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I'm trying to like follow your timeline. So you were doing Romeo and Juliet. How old were you roughly when you were doing the Romeo and Juliet in central Illinois? So so I went to Bradley University, which is a private school in central Illinois. Oh, okay. And that's when I did Romeo and Juliet. It was Got like it. between my junior, I think it was my junior, between my junior and senior year in college. And then I took a year, I went and I studied in London. And okay. I was part of the Old Globe Theater program there because obviously I was hooked on Shakespeare. And then I went to grad school from 94 to 90, 97. So I was in school forever. And um, Charmed happened after graduate school. So I moved oh. to LA after graduate school okay. in 1997. So I went to New York. I did all my children. I did a play. And then I moved to LA. And then I got cast in Charmed. Got it. Okay. I'm trying to figure out what was the point where you became, you're like, let me take a step back and let me get into instructing the younger generation on how to be performers. I was here in LA. I was working. I had my own theater company. Things were going well. I was booking some work, but the work doesn't come, you know, you can't just order it up. Like you audition. Oh, yeah. Of course. And you hope you book a book a gig and then sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. So you yeah. need to keep the tent poles up. Like, you know, I had rent and I had a car and my family wasn't in LA. So I was really doing it on my own. And I was able to get hired as an English teacher at a school called Alamany High School, which is in Mission Hills. Right. And I was there as an English teacher because obviously I love Shakespeare. I love the classics. So it was a good marriage. I had a master's degree. Mm -hmm. So I got hired there and I never thought I would want to be a teacher. I mean, my roommate in college was an ed education major. And I was like, "Ugh, I will <laughs> never be an education major. Ugh. I just didn't. I thought it was just so boring and I didn't want to do it. No offense to the education majors out there. I was dumb. I should have done it back she then. She completely but I was shat on your careers, by the way. I did. I, I was just like, I hated it. I didn't want to do it. I think, you know why? Okay, because I think in the 90s, when yeah. I was going to college, it was a very safe thing for like a woman to do, is to be a teacher. I see what you, you mean. Then you get married and have kids and be home. And that was not everybody, but philosophically, that was something that I heard a lot. And I didn't like that because right. that just wasn't, didn't line up with my values. So I got the job in, at Alamany and I really loved it. I thought it was amazing. I loved teaching the kids. I don't know if I was a really good teacher then, but I was really excited to learn. Um, I got involved in like student government. I did some extracurricular activities with them. I was just having a ball. Right. And the auditions weren't coming a lot and I wasn't doing a lot, but I just didn't care because I was so into my teaching and then my second year there I did book a role in Hamlet and it was in March so the school year hasn't wrapped up yet and it was an equity production so in order to do it I had to quit my teaching job oh, and they knew nice. that I was wanted to be an actor so they knew that that was my priority at the time 
but it killed me, Sean. I was a mess the last day when I had to leave. I was sobbing. I was ugly crying. Wow. I was a disaster. And I, I really, I mean, I try not to use regret because you shouldn't regret things. It taught me a lot. It taught me that I really wanted to stay there. I didn't Mm. want to go do the show. Mm. I didn't really want to, but I felt like I I had to because I was like set up to do it. Right. So you took what you had in that moment for granted until you were about to leave. And then you just understood the value of working with kids. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to do this show, like the 80 bazillionth production of Hamlet, which is fine. We should be doing Hamlet. a lot to learn. But I was like Rosencrantz and was I Rosencrantz or Guildenstern? I don't even remember. I was one of them. And who cares anyway? And I felt like I dropped these relationships with these amazing kids, with these wonderful students to go off and play a, you know, a pretty forgettable role in in a decent show. It was a decent show, but, you know, it came and it went. Right. Whereas building those relationships with students and creating a culture seemed to be something that was more long lasting. That is such a, it's so real. It's such a real feeling to have because you never really know what you have until you're just really your last foot is about to be out the door. You walked away from something that you were so as, as a kid, you were dreaming about being an actress and you were you were you wanted to be in this on stage and perform. Isn't it ironic that it was something that you didn't even want to be around that ended up pulling you back in? That's what was bigger to you. Well- I think it's like things that you don't know, you don't know about yourself. Right. Like, I think ultimately, I, I am an artist and I love art, but I am more in, more fired up by service. Right. And I wanted to be of service and serving these kids. And that was something I didn't, or serving people. I didn't know that when I was in college. I just wanted to perform. Right. And so as I grew and I got older and I had these opportunities, I realized that where my heart was, was in service. Okay. That makes, okay. Got you. Got you. Now let's fast forward. Where are we going forward. now, Scott? Where are we going to go now? <laughs> we're, going on a, we're going on a trip to <laughs> when we first met. Okay. AGBU. Okay. I was in fifth grade. Kindergarten through fifth grade, I was like, my parents knew how much I loved acting and performing, but it was so raw. It just had no structure whatsoever. No improvisational skills. I was an animal back then. I had no structure, no concept of humor, no concept of sarcasm, nothing. Then I heard that in the summer of fifth grade that there was going to be an acting class that we could take i remember you having i still get ptsd from it sometimes but you got this big drum that you bang with your hand to end my doombeck <laughs> yeah your doombeck you would I, I literally my doombeck is outside right I, now it's no way you still have it oh yeah i still have it but i need to do the the skin the cover oh. from me ramming on the doombeck <laughs> But I have the drum part. <laughs> I remember in the middle of every single like exercise that we did, guys, she would just be like, all right, done. And she just hit. <laughs> she'd scream on the top floor and she just hit the derbeck. And I was like, oh, my God, I love this class at home. I didn't really have that 
opportunity to showcase what I really wanted to do, which was be on stage, act, stuff like that. So you were the first person who showed me that. You were the first person who basically took a pencil, a dull pencil, and sharpened it. Oh, my God. I don't know if you're going to remember this, but what was your first impression of me as a student? I remember you as reluctant to, I mean, you were very young, but like somebody that's simultaneously drawn to and repelled by art. Like you wanted to be in it and do it. And then I would go, Sean, what about this thing? Or do that. And then you sort of would take processing time. Like, hmm, do I really want to do that? (laughs) Do I want to do that? I don't know what she's asking me to do. And there would be this space of like reluctance or hesitation. Right. And I, as I, does that seem... Like yeah, accurate? yeah. It seems it seems accurate, especially in the earlier stages, because it was it wasn't that the reluctance came from the fear of because you threw me into the fire a lot. It was a lot yeah. of situations, yeah, where you were just you didn't give me a chance, and I, I I thank you for that because now as an adult, all I operate I operate the best when I'm under pressure, and mm. I can't like if you didn't do that. I would be a completely different human being now. I was just more obsessed with, am I going to get it right? Because That is the face. You literally made the face that you made. <laughs> it's the, that you always made. You made the face. Uh, okay, like, do it again. Let me see the like, face again. Uh, just, that's it. That's it. That's the face. That's the face. That is it. Oh, oh she woke up. <laughs> Let me get her a boner. In drama schools, your point is to teach people to think on their feet, right. to be spontaneous, to be flexible. And so you're, you're trying to get them to be in a state of high alert a lot. And yeah, yeah that's part of the training. So I, I guess I'm glad I freaked you out a little bit. No, I'm glad you did because some, kids really need that. I think that there's a, we, we do have to be attentive over what the child's skill set is. We have to be really mindful of what they can and what they can do, what they can't do, what they don't want to do, and what they will do. But you just throwing all that out and just said, you have to be an animal. Embody an animal. And I was just like, okay, what do you mean by embody? Do you want me to go all in? Or do you want me to just like, what type of, you know, I I had so many questions in my mind about like, what's the end result? And I remember specifically, there was one exercise we did. It was that embody the animal. It was, I think, you had like a- Was it imaginary body? Yes, it was imaginary body. Because you're like, uh, choose an animal that you really like, like or something. And I was like, okay. And we were in the big auditorium. And I remember getting on stage and you were just like, you had your little derbeke, you're walking around waiting for your moment to just hit, hit it as loud as you can. And then you said, okay, now make the noises like the animal, be the animal, walk like the animal. And I was like on stage and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to choose a wolf because I was an idiot. I jump off stage, land, and all I hear was <sighs> my pants 
big wide spread in between my legs. And I, I was, remember <laughs> Oh my God. And I looked at you and you looked at me and you tried so hard not to laugh. And you're like, good job. Keep, keep going. And I, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> you were you owned it though you embodied the wolf you were the animal you just went there you know yeah i stayed in character what did you do the rest of the day did you borrow some pants i had my i had my hat? sweater i had my sweater and i just tied it around like a belt and i just walked around and then i had to explain this to my mom what happened and she thought i got bullied i was like no i literally jumped off of a stage <laughs> thinking i was a wolf and she's like okay what and she was freaking i was like what do you mean she thought i was lying i was like bro no seriously we had an exercise in acting well i was a wolf yeah and i was a wolf and she was just looking at me where you being that's crazy it's so weird how memory is because i di i didn't remember that and you just told me i'm like oh my god that's right i do remember that <laughs> you did grow like over time i think by the end of things you were, I hope you seemed more brave and more willing to just kind of go there. Definitely. Let me drink this real quick. <laughs> We're going to take a quick little commercial break. Sponsored by no one. Shut up, bro. Please. Please. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. I'll take you to Chick-fil-A and leave you there. Bitch. I hate these birds. I'm the biggest bird. I'm the biggest bird. <laughs> Fuck you. Shut up. I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Hello? Oh my God. You little fuck. You fucking bastard, you. Hey! Cock and bang you. This show is not sponsored by Zoom for a good reason. Fuck Zoom. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck at the Zoom. Fuck at the you. Fuck at Zoom. Fuck Zoom. Fuck it, the Zoom. Zoom can suck my... That was tough. That was. Oh my goodness. I don't know why my it was happening. My so tough. Sorry. Another thing that I didn't know about you recently is that now you're a children's author. What? I was like, because I didn't know what you were doing outside of AGBU when you left. Because you left a legacy for us. You definitely left something behind for us. It was just a shame that I don't know how it is now because I think it's been disbanded or the theater group isn't as strong anymore. But when I did, I just didn't know what direction you took and you took the direction. I, it's so interesting now that that's part of your legacy. That now you have a child, you have a children's book that you've written. And I don't understand why you're not advertising it as much. Miss Angie, I don't know on. how. Oh, God. I don't know how. I like, I started this new job and they were introducing me and my partner teacher's like, and here she is. And she put, we were doing, she had like a Google Slides thing with my book and my author picture. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I think that I was like I, a performer who was like a reluctant performer. Like I'm not, I don't feel totally comfortable, you know, tuning my own horn. It's kind of hard for me. But when you write a book, you should talk about it. Um, and I think it's hard for me. So, Shot, you got to hook me up. The I got you. I, need help. I, I got help you. From the I time. got you. Don't worry. I will plug your um, Amazon page and the link to get the book 
at the oh end of the podcast. God. See, I'm a Gen Xer. We just kind of sit back and we go, whatever. <laughs> and that's so bad. <laughs> oh, my so God. Bad. What What was the inspiration behind it? Well, I moved from uh, from drama to special education, which is an interesting place to go because I felt like I wanted to go deeper with helping kids to I wanted to make a connection between special education and drama students with ADHD um, specifically because there were a lot of kids that would be drawn to drama that they were struggling academically and I wanted to support them so let me just put that out for listeners that's the connection so I went from drama to special education I and I was always looking for creative outlets I really really miss telling stories as we started in the beginning my love for theater came from a desire to be in a community, to witness stories, to be a part of stories, and to be a storyteller. And as much as I love special education, I definitely have the need to be creative. And during the pandemic, I finally, I know a lot of people struggled with it, um, but there were gifts for me, and the gift for me was time. I didn't have to go to school to work there in a classroom for eight hours. I could be online in my class. And then all of a sudden I found myself with time. I didn't have to drive and I just started writing. And I, um, you know, my mom passed away about 10 years ago and I started writing stories about our relationship because she was a single mom. So I felt like, you know, when she passed away, really our stories died. Like who's going to tell the stories? There was no dad. Yeah. I don't have a sibling. Yeah. And I started writing and I started a blog and I have a a website, and then I thought, what if I create a character, a special education character named after my mom? So then her name is Melly Lou. My mom's name is Meldora Lou. And Melly Lou is a fairy, and she doesn't quite fit in. And I don't think my mom fit in. And I think sometimes students are that are neurodivergent, they don't feel um, like they do. And so she's a fairy who doesn't want to fly. Everybody wants her to fly, but she can't. She wants to keep her yellow converse on. She wants to keep her feet on the ground. <laughs> okay. She doesn't like to be flying. She doesn't like to take chances. She gets really scared. She has anxiety. And so that's what I did. I started writing. So I have three of them, actually. One's been published, and I have two more in the can. Ready to come out, spring 2024. Hell yeah. They're children's books. So it's basically emergent readers. They're early readers. Yes. Yeah. For, for young kids, a picture book, and it's done in um, rhyming. There's a rhyme scheme. Oh, okay. Okay. That's adorable. That's cute. I Thank think, you. I think that's very inspirational. A lot of people will just, when they leave a job or they'll leave something behind that they've spent hours and hours, blood, sweat, and tears into making. And to me, I, that's definitely what you did in AGBU as a drama teacher. You weren't just a drama teacher. You created a, an acting culture at AGBU for sure. And for you to still have bits and pieces of that, remnants of it, the basis of it, the foundation of it, and found a way to connect it to another passion that you had, that takes a massive amount of patience and a massive amount of work. And you did it. And now you're here on a podcast with me. <laughs> wow, we've come full circle. You make me cry. No, oh please my don't. gosh. Um, no, that's great. I, I and I it is hard, you know, but I think as artists, I mean, you yourself, you are you, we have stories to tell and we have um our passions and our energy needs to be put forth in positive ways and 
not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do it. It does take a lot of energy and bravery. Yeah. Um, so I try to live by my own words. I try yeah. to like push myself in the same way I push my students. What is your final kind of advice that you would give to people who are aspiring to come out of their shell or really people who just are not there yet to come out of their shell, to be, to be and blossom into whoever they want to be. What is your like advice for the younger generation who are struggle, who might be struggling with identity issues now or don't know what they want to do? Okay. Okay. No pressure here or anything, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give it my <laughs> best shot. I would say like to, to be brave, to be brave, you know, life isn't supposed to be perfect and things aren't supposed to roll out in a neat and tidy way. And they rarely do. So to embrace the mess, you know, sometimes life is chaotic and it can be traumatic and it can be joyful and exhilarating and all the things. And I think the more you can get used to embracing that mess and that chaos, the more you're going to propel yourself forward to places and spaces where you want to be. Very well said, Miss AJ. Like always, it has been a pleasure to being Aww. around you, being with you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and I hope to see you again on this Room 104 podcast. I hope to see you at, at anytime you want. Just come on here. We'll advertise your books. We'll talk about anything, anything you want. Anytime. You just give me a, shoot me an I am and I'll be there. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This has been Shanti. Don't forget the Monty Room 104 podcast. Miss AJ, always been a pleasure. I'll see you. You went from a drama teacher. You actually, you went from an actress to a drama teacher to a special, special ed teacher, and now you're an author. So, Peace out. So Peace good out. seeing you, Sean.